Welcome, guys and dolls, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the all-new, all-different X-Men, number 107, the October 1977 issue titled, Where No X-Man Has Gone Before. Ooh. And um, as a listener, Joe Dorowski, just pointed out to us, this issue we now know was published on July 19th of 1977. And how do we know that, other than the fact that he just told us? We'll discuss that at the end of the episode. Oh, okay. So that was like a little uh, teaser, if you will? Yeah, stay tuned for our letters section. I can't wait. And uh, I also had made a mistake last week. I said that Champions number one came out before Giant Size. Well, it didn't. It came out the same month as X-Men 95. Adam, you and all your mistakes. I miscalculated. Well, that's okay. It's foolish, I know. I'm, I'm sure our audience will, our listening audience will forgive you. I gotta get these things straight. It's uh, important. I hear ya. Yes, so X-Men number 107, still the all-new, all-different, still only 30 cents. Uh, this issue has a bunch of space people on the cover. Who does, is this, is this a Cockrum cover? I... Oh yeah, it is. It's got a signature down there in the lower left-hand corner by the, what looks like a dinosaur foot, but we know is actually a tongue. Oh, yes. There's Cockrum's name on the tongue. Uh, yeah, you've got a, you got a lizard man, a swashbuckler in the background with a sword, and a cyborg-y looking guy with a ponytail, and a skunk girl. Then there's a bug man. There's a somebody's gin- flaming hand and somebody's bubbly hands. Yeah, there's like some uh, pseudopod hands as well. If that's, unless that's the bubble hands you were talking about, I was going to call that a tentacle beast. Oh, I like pseudopod better. I, I do like the word <laughs> pseudopod. <laughs> and there's a man with some crazy symbol on his chest, kind of lurking uh, above uh, Storm, Colossus, Cyclops, and Banshee. Uh, Wolverine's not anywhere to be found, nor is Jean. And then there's some dude in the front, and he's got a mohawk, and he's pointing at, well, he's pointing between Cyclops and Colossus. He's saying, behind them! (laughs) Look out behind you! So is he a good guy or a bad guy? We don't know. And there's actually shadows behind them all, too. There's, like, Greedo and Eric the Red and Lobot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like a whole cantina scene here. And it says, beginning the incredible saga of the Star Jammers. Will it be the end of the X-Men? Will this title now be called the Star Jammers? Maybe. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I hope so, almost. Based on what I'm seeing so far, it looks pretty darn exciting. But- this, is a, this is a well-drawn cover. It's, it's, I don't really like this cover because there's just too much going on, but I, it is well-drawn. Uh, yeah, everything is artistically well drawn. It's like he had an extra month or two to work on this particular cover and issue. But we know he didn't. Well, that's a good point. <clears throat> but um, 
So we open this thing up and uh, we see that it's uh, another Cockrum Claremont joint. Uh, uh, Dan Green, who we'll get to know his work uh, as we move forward in X Men uh, issues, is doing the inking for us. Joe Rosen lettering, Andy Yankus is coloring, and Archie Goodwin is still editing for us. I always thought Dan Green was like the for like the same age as Sylvester or something like that because they were always together. But now I'm thinking maybe he's an older fellow. I have no idea, but yeah, I mean they they do get teamed up for quite a while. And on a, little, a lot of different books, too. So They're still together I, to this day. They, they, they Maybe they uh, got married. It could be. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, they make a good team. Why break up a good team? And we get a nice splash page here, um, which I think could have been the cover. I like this image better than the cover. I agree. I mean, you've got uh, Phoenix in the background kind of uh, charioting the X-Men on with her powers. All of the X-Men are kind of pointing and surprised, and there's uh, clearly there is something happening in the foreground that we, the viewer, are not aware of. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, really, it adds nothing to the story thus far, but it certainly could have just been the cover of this comic book. You put the X-Men logo on top of Phoenix, and you're done. Yeah. Wolverine says, where? I mean, <clears throat> Where are the blazes are we? <laughs> yeah, and so we turn the pages and we find out that we are truly where no X-Man has gone before. And this is actually a lot of characters that were on the cover, plus a whole bunch of other characters that we've never met before. The majority of who will not be named in this issue, and so you'll have to forgive us for not naming them, <laughs> folks. They, but still, there are a lot that are actually named. Um, there are, there is quite a handful that do get named, but I would say only about two thirds of the characters that are in this page get named. So on the left hand, we have all of the X-Men minus Banshee and Phoenix pointing over to the alien creatures who are, interestingly enough, I mean, apparently, uh, costumes and tight clothing is a, a universal thing in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Right, because they all look like space superheroes. That's true. And they, in fact, <laughs> someone sees the X-Men and they say, aliens, which is kind of amusing. There's a giant gem in the background. You have Eric the Red, who's got Lilandra by her arms. And I think the guy that's fist pounding up there, uh, I believe it's safe for me to say that that's Deken. I, I... Well, you just said it, so <laughs> the world did not explode, so we're safe. <laughs> Whew. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is, if I were a kid in, what, 1979, and, and I saw this cover, and I opened up, and I saw these first three pages, I sh we should mention that this Where the No X-Men Has Gone Before is a two-page spread, I would be like, oh, man, <laughs> this is, it's going down. It has all of a sudden become real. Yeah, this is this is a serious. I I got to imagine Cochran was like seriously. You want me to draw how many people? <laughs> yeah, and you want them all to have unique identities and faces and costumes, and it really does seem like um, Claremont or Claremont and Cochran had uh, well-established ideas for what they were going to do for each of these characters because they're all very different. They all look like they have very different powers. 
Um, I would say Cockrum's strength is definitely in creating uh, new characters with new costumes. Character design and costume design. Sure, I'll, I'll give you that. Sure. Except for the guy who's kind of floating around in front of the big man, the guy who's got like a black and white uh, body there. He looks like he he uh, he 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 looks gay. <laughs> well, we'll get some more detail on that guy later, and I and I do believe that guy has a later role in the Marvel universe. I believe he spoilers becomes a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I, oh, I don't know his name. It certainly could be. Well, anyways, the X Men are uh, surprised, and you've got yeah, they don't know what's going on, and and. Uh, you know they're being pointed at, and, and nobody knows who they, where they came from. And and uh, Cyclops says our coming here was Phoenix's doing, and I have a feeling she even she doesn't know why or wherefore. Mm-hmm. Although he's wrong on both counts. Yes. Technically, their coming here was not Phoenix's doing, although she did, you know, physically cause it. But it was really the professor's doing, and yeah. and also she 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 should know why they're there, because the professor shared all that information with her. Well, I completely agree. So this woman in like, uh, I don't know, furry go-go boots uh, and uh, a yellow suits is referring to somebody as gladiator and also her comrades. And she's wondering who these people are. They materialized right after princess Lilandra. Are they friends or foes? That's when storm says Cyclops is incredible. I can understand their language. And Cyclops takes the uh, the role of the negotiator, the the political uh, guy, and says, "Hey, uh, we're from Earth, and uh, we're the X Men, and we come in peace. Let's talk. We've come for the woman, Lalandra, and Eric the Red." At which we learn that the Gladiator fellow is the purple being with the blue mohawk, and he says. You are surrounded and outnumbered, and we're not giving you the prisoner because she is a traitor to the Empire. And that's when Cyclops blasts somebody. <laughs> he just shoots. I think he shoots uh, in the background behind Gladiator. There's like a like a green bug man. Yeah. And he just randomly shoots her. Although it doesn't really make any sense because the characters that are in the background behind Gladiator on this panel are not the same people who are in the panel in the, uh, in the background on the next panel. Like, where's that wolf guy? Yeah, he must have ducked or something and <laughs> hidden behind that bush. Well, so in the background like, of this, Whoa! you've got uh, kind of a guy that looks like a banshee guy, but he's not really banshee. He's got a yellow and blue uniform. You got another guy that's just got a big, uh, I don't know, which, uh, scuba mask for a, uh, a face. And then a scuba mask guy. <laughs> scuba mask man. Uh, and then a white haired woman. Uh, she will get a white-haired woman whose name is Oracle. We we learned that, and the guy who gets knocked over, his name is Mentor. Yes, I wonder what Mentor's powers were. We'll never find out. <laughs> and I wonder if Cyclops just killed him. I mean, <laughs> we never see him again, so it's quite possible. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, I mean, here you beam into like some remote universe area with a bunch of strange aliens who can speak English for some reason, and uh, you know the guy's like. Hey, Lilandra's a traitor, and we're not going to give her up. And you just, rather than shooting the guy who's talking back to you, you just shoot the guy next to him? Yeah, Cyclops' negotiation skills are a bit on the weak side. He's like, you know, you know, 
maybe these guys would rather talk than fight. And then they say, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're, we're, this is how it is. Sorry that you guys want this, but you know, it, it's not happening at, at which like point Cyclops says, Nope. They don't want to talk. Just they <laughs> want to fight. So instead of shooting that person, he shoots somebody else who has nothing to do with the situation. And also, he doesn't know anything about their physical traits, their physique, or anything. So, I mean, this guy's skin could be like paper thin, and by shooting him with his optic beams, could just like disintegrate him. He has no idea. For all Cyclops knows, this guy running up to them could just be some stranger who was like, wait, what's going on over here? Well, he could have been running up going, guys, guys, I just found out Lilandra's not a traitor and we're supposed to let her go. Zap! (laughs) He could be not associated with them at all. He could, you know, I don't know. What are you mumbling about, Mentor? Oh my gosh, Mentor! (laughs) Well, anyways, uh, with that, the gladiator dude says, Imperials attack! And they fight. And there is a mighty battle. Which goes on for 20 pages, which brings us to our letters page. (laughs) Essentially, I mean, I got to be honest, like, it's going to be difficult for us to go through this fight stuff, but it is, it's an action-packed fun issue, and so we'll just kind of breeze through it, but uh, I guess one of the most notable things is there's a dude who turns into a giant uh, uh, Barakakan shovel beast, and... uh, Colossus is going to take it over or take it on, but he tells Nightcrawler to go hide because Nightcrawler's really been mostly ineffective in these last few issues. But Night- Interesting, Nightcrawler says, anyone got a shadow I could hide in? Yes, a callback to his disappearing power, which, like we said, we'll never see again. But uh, he snaps his finger and he's like, wait a minute. With my image inducer, I can change forms too. Sort of. And so he turns into a Barack cock on a cock and shovel beast, and and he hopes that uh, he'll scare the man who changed forms into this shovel beast. And through a lot of different panels, it actually works. Yes, the other guy is so surprised at seeing a much larger beast. Uh, the guy who changes shape's name is Hobgoblin, by the way. He refers back to his normal form, at which point uh, Nightcrawler says, Perfect! With a K. Perfect. Oops, sorry, he says. Perfect. Which e- means perfect. Weird. <laughs> That's another little German lesson from your friends Adam and Jeremy. So and we get another one quickly following it because Nightcrawler punches the guy out and says, Wow, this guy can actually change his physical shape. That's fantastic. Wunderbar. 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 So Which my- means wunderbar. Which Wonderbar is German for Wonderbar. Means wonderful, in case you didn't uh guess. Hobgoblin, I got a question about these names. Like I can get I guess Gladiator, I mean, is that really like a universal term that would transcend the universe? Or is that more of a our term? Well what I don't understand is is everything's supposed to be translated. How is Nightcrawler mm. speaking German? <laughs> I don't know that everything is translated, as we will see in a future panel that I'll point out. I think Yeah, that's true. I know which one you're talking about. I think these guys are all literally speaking the universal language of English. Um, yeah. But uh, Hobgoblin, we... Hobgoblin and Gladiator are like very much like Earth terms that come either from our past 
or from our fictitious stories. So how could they have... You don't think it's a translation? Like his name is actually Flugenfaken. I would have... That's, that's Shi'ar for gladiator. I would have rather than... But they'd have been like, Flugenschlaken, turn into a shovel beast. Rather <laughs> than being like Hobgoblin because, well, A, there's already a Hobgoblin in the Marvel Universe and B, it, it just well, doesn't... I don't think there is yet, actually. Oh, well, maybe there's not. I'm not sure. I'm not up on my Spider-Man uh, trivia. Okay. So I'm not sure when the Hobgoblin shows up. There's definitely a Green Goblin. Right, right, right. Well, anyways, I mean, that's just a small, small little complaint. But I guess there's another person here called Oracle, and these are all very, very earthy code names, and it just doesn't make sense that there's foreign, or I mean, sorry, not even foreign, but otherworldly uh, people have these names that are very earth-sounding. Well, Let's face it, other than like some skin color and some outlandish, uh, weird skin occasionally, these people are pretty humanoid. Well, yeah, yeah. Similar cultures, they all develop the same. It's amazing. It would be like in Star Trek, though, if you were to meet an alien race that had like tentacles on their heads and uh, the main tentacle-headed man's name was Rick. You know? His name would be like Dakar or Kalklish. Yeah, that's true. You know, but Rick, he's humanoid, <laughs> and uh, Rick, he's, it's, oh, I'm Rick, of the Rickites. Well, anyways... Chris, Chris Claremont was not super creative, I guess, as far as the naming conventions happened. If we uh, let's jump back a page, and Wolverine actually says, Well, Summers, here's another fine mess you've gotten us into. What's with Jeannie? And she's, uh, she's, she's, she looks like she has some sort of a headache. Mm-hmm. He says, what do you expect? Her power just shot us across the universe. She's out on her feet. And he thinks to himself, back off, Wolverine, or so help me, Al. Al what? And actually... Slap you across your knees. I'm going to slap you silly. Uh, and it should be noted that that is Wolverine's first... I believe that's Wolverine's first line of dialogue in this entire comic book. And it's well, the, no, he had the very first line of dialogue where oh, he said, where the blazes are we? Okay, you're right. So he has had those two lines of dialogue, and up until now, no one has addressed him. And the only time somebody has spoken his name is in a thought balloon in which Cyclops is threatening him. Yes, I uh, noticed that as well, and, and we'll explain why very shortly. Well, um, so after Nightcrawler punches out Hobgoblin, we flip over to this flaming flying guy who's not Firestorm or Lord or whatever his name is, some other flaming guy. It's Starbolt. Starbolt. And Starbolt says, Goblin's down too. I'm I'm assuming he's regarding Hobgoblin. And that clawed alien, Wolverine, is going for Oracle. Well, what else could you call this guy possibly? His, he's gotta be a Wolverine. Yeah, but they don't have... I can't imagine there's... Wolverines are na- Wolverine is named after a, a mammal, right? Maybe Starbolt reads minds. So I can't imagine that there's an actual Wolverine in space that they're like, oh, he, he reminds me of that thing that we have on our planet that we call Wolverines. So I'm going to refer to him as Wolverine. I'm telling you, Starbolt has like uh, minor psychic abilities or uh, telepathic abilities, and he picked up when Cyclops thought to himself about Wolverine. Okay, man, that's about the only thing that makes any sense. Well, anyways... He's a modern telepath. Okay. Starbolt uses his powers to blast Wolverine, which uh, Oracle thinks is taking care of Wolverine, uh, 
but he is fine. His clothes are burnt off, but he's fine. Yeah, I don't understand. What are Starbolt's powers? The power is to incinerate someone's clothes? <laughs> Ooh, that's impressive. Well, Wolverine looks a little shocked. I'll give him that, but... He's got crazy eyes in this panel. He's like, what just happened? My my outfit. My beautiful outfit. He's still got chest hair and everything. It's like, it didn't even go through... Well, I guess, actually, he doesn't... He looks pretty hairless, actually, now that I think about Except it. Except for his head. Well, right. He's got all of the hair on his head. Uh, he's got a glove on, uh, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Starbolt can read minds and incinerate clothing. <laughs> he sheathed his claws too, for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have any idea, but it surprises Oracle, who is surprised when Wolverine turns around and says, "If anyone's learning a lesson, it's you, you flame-faced buddy. Your, f- oh, you and your flame-faced buddy. Gotcha. So, yes." He hurls Oracle at, uh, uh, what'd you call Star him? Starbolt. Starbolt. And apparently they're lovers. Uh, <coughs> Wolverine says, nobody laughs at Wolverine. It's true. Nightcrawler learned that lesson already. Oh, good point. And I thought that this would be, oh, actually in yours, is Wolverine's face colored in? Because in mine, his face is not colored in, in these last two panels. Yes, his face is colored in in both of the last two panels. Interesting. He's just got a white face in both of these. Wolverine uh, is going a little bit crazy. He's like hurting from that flame blast, but I can't let it bother me. I got to keep trimming the odds. And what the hey, this fight's too good to miss. You, fur face. Yeah, I'm talking to you, bub. Wolverine needs a target, fella, and it looks like you're elected. And, and he targets fur face. Yes, his code name is Furface. He happens. Wow, says the caption. <laughs> he happens to be. He looks like he's wearing a Tigra uniform. Uh, that the Avenger, Avenger Tigra. It's like a orange. And... Oh, she doesn't. Does she actually have a uniform? I thought she was just naked. Uh, this I have no idea. I think maybe she is naked. I I have no idea. But this outfit looks like her naked fur skin, doesn't it? Kind of. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. This guy's name we will learn later is Fang. Fang. So we draw our attention away from Fang and Wolverine over to Deken, Lilandra, Eric the Red, and a bug? Bug guy. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, they're not referring to Eric the Red as Eric the Red anymore. They're referring to him as Shakari. So, yeah. Well, apparently- the X-Men still refer to him as Eric the Red. Sure, sure. Nobody uh, knows what he's talking about, though. We, you know, we won't give you this Lalandra person because she's a traitor, and I don't know who Eric the Red is. <laughs> who is this Eric the Red you speak of? And at some point, are they ever going to explain why this guy decided to put on the Eric the Red costume other than it's completely befuddling? Uh, wasn't it explained that he did it to throw Cyclops off or something like that? Or was that, did I just make that up? I don't even know anymore. I know it threw off Lorna Dane and Havoc, but, uh, once you get past that, it's like, what's the point? Well, maybe we'll find out in this issue and probably not. (laughs) Well, the, the bug thing talks just like you would expect it. It would, it speaks kind of in backward English. Silent bee woman. For come for you comes death and worse than death, so doesn't Ooh. doesn't really make sense. And uh, that's what are you? Oh no, Lord of Light! No, 
Ken, I am your sister. You would not dare. Lady Shara, preserve me. It's the soul drinker. And there, there we see the tongue that was on the cover that could have been a foot. The drinker of souls? The soul drinker? What a horrible name. He's thirsty. I, they could have been like... He's thirsty for souls, Jeremy. <laughs> I just wish he would have had a name like it's... It's, uh, Rack Jafrak, the soul drinker, you know, but he's, he's literally just, he's, he's the soul drinker. Ugh. And somehow she went from being held by Eric the Red to being, it looks like she's chained against a wall now. Yeah, it does. Just two panels. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's what Eric, the, or uh, Shikari is doing off panel. Just tying, tying her, her up. to the wall. Sure. Cyclops notices the scream, and he's trying to get Gene to help out here because his blasts aren't going to make it, or he can't get a clear shot. And Gene is too weak. She doesn't have the strength. She's sorry. But Never fear, says Nightcrawler. My friends, I'll rescue yon damsel fair. And he bamps over, and he's freaked out about the soul drinker. He's like, what is that thing? And she says, Nightcrawler, flee, my friend. I am lost. Save yourself while you can. And he says, no, and breaks the chain, saying, I told Cyclops I, I'd rescue you and rescue you I shall, assuming this verdammed chain ever breaks. Oh, and that's my cue. Verdammt. Verdammt means damn. Verdammt. Damn. So how does Lil Andra know Nightcrawler's name? I mean, she was on Earth for all of five minutes before she was pushed back into the, uh, the, uh... She knows, she knows everything the professor knows, doesn't she? Isn't, don't they have some sort of special rapport? Oh, sure. I'm just going to explain it away as that. <laughs> Whenever you can't explain something, it's a rapport. Yeah. Well, Nightcrawler, he says, uh, assuming this verdamp chain ever breaks, and sure enough, with his... Better than average strength, he's actually able to snap the space chains. Which he does, and uh, he is trying to get Lelandra to escape, and then the, the robot, oh, there's a robot with the tentacles from the cover. He starts coming over. They're the suction cups, the suction cup fingers. It's yeah. very Star Trekian. But anyway, uh, Lightcrawler says, let's get out of here, but Lelandra can't because she's petrified with fright. That soul drinker thingy must have her in some sort of mind lock. It's going to drink her soul. Soul drinker. And that's when Nightcrawler, desperate, surrounded by enemies, grabs Lalandra and bamps the two of them out of there, which I, I gather is the first time he's ever done this. Yeah, and it's at this point the alien robot pseudopod hand man uh, he doesn't speak English. He speaks that little gibberishy symbol thing. The universal translator does not translate robotian. No, no, no. Looks it's like maybe maybe he doesn't. He didn't say anything. Maybe he's just making noise. Well, it looks like colon one h six h t t r equal k r six seven k with some additional HTTP it's predicting the uh, website it totally is oh we should we should register uh, krb7k.com <laughs> <laughs> only the true fans will get what that is 
oh my god, they finally registered the robot thing from Shi'ar. This is amazing. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, Nightcrawler comments after he teleported that uh, it's the first time he's ever done it. The strain is so great. Uh, if he'd uh, done a larger person, uh, he thinks that they would have both died. As it is, he can't even stand on his own. Apparently, the robot must have had a soul because in the the following panel, the robot incinerates, and it looks like, or does it get sucked back in? It looks like the tongue incinerates too. Not sure so what. Maybe happens. the tongue just moves so quickly, he he gets swallowed or something. Well, it's the, hard to tell what's going on in this panel. The tongue goes through the robot, and that's when it makes its HTTP thing, and then something, either it or both, goes. And it looks like the tongue and the robot disintegrate. Yeah, it's it's weird. Hmm. Maybe that's how soul drinking works. <laughs> I've never I've never had a soul, so I don't know. So in the midst of all of this fighting and battling and crazy stuff going on, Fang and Wolverine still rolling around on the floor, Cyclops stops all of the action and says, All right, princess, talk. You came to ask for our help, and here we are. Uh, but we haven't a chance unless we know what we're here for and what we're supposed to do. Make it fast. We're running out of time. And that's when Lelandra says, I'm sorry, Mario, but our princess is in another <laughs> castle. <laughs> yes. And Cyclops is like, damn! <laughs> How many more of these castles do I have to go into? <laughs> I keep jumping over that it, flagpole. It's ridiculous. Look at Jean Grey in this panel. She's like totally shocked. Yeah, you want to know why? Because she's like... Cyclops, for the love of God, we're getting slaughtered out there, and you want to have a story told to you? What the heck is the matter with you? That could be. That could be. <laughs> so so we get a full page, uh, a page and a panel of, well, no, no, it's actually, it's actually uh, it's closer two to pages, really, of, of flashback. As we learn that Dekan is her brother, and he discovered an ancient force, the deadliest weapon in history. And Dekan wants it for himself. And he's pointing it like a little robot. Is that the weapon? Sure. Like Silver Samurai or something. <laughs> silver Samurai is the ultimate weapon. It's Space <laughs> like Silver one, Samurai. Remember that episode way back when Mole Man fought the underground uh, guy with the... Uh, the the under the other underground guy with his giant samurai robots <sighs> vaguely <laughs> I, grotesque was that was his name uh yeah maybe yeah no 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 that was later but oh. <laughs> well grotesque well whatever doesn't matter um grotesque did come from the underground so yeah, yes yeah. there there was yet another <laughs> everybody comes from the underground was it uh uh, uh mitoxo cuz he was underground as well he was a lava man no, no, it was some other dude who I just can't remember his name. Well, Lilandra flees away from her brother during, uh, prior to a ceremonial execution. And as, right. she, as she was jinking through the binary system, trying to shake off her pursuit, she saw in her mind a face. It was, what is jinking? I have, like, just, just you know, jinking around. Is she, like, constantly going, jinkies, jinkies? <laughs> I think Jinkies. it to me it sounds like a like a real fifties or sixties term of like, yeah, we were just jinking around town, going from soda jerk to soda jerk. Do you and, think it's one of? Do you think it's like a, a, a nonsense word that Chris Claremont made up 
to be like an alien sort of thing. Oh, like it could be potentially warping or something. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> like everybody's going like mother of Hera and stuff like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was operating at a jink 27 and that's when I saw in the binary system. What, what's a binary system? Is that an actual term? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend it's it definitely a, a sci-fi term. Definitely. It sounds good anyways. Well, that's when she found her instant bonding to the, uh, the professor. And uh, there was some images of the Xavier collecting, uh, marshalling the collective will of humankind to fight off a minor freebooting race, the Xenox, as we'll recall from issue 65. And the professor looks crazy in this panel. He's like, ah, ha, 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 I control the world. Yes. The Xenox here, he looks, I wish they would have brought the Xenox back because they look like, they look pretty badass in this panel. Uh, the Xenox were always pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, the professor is definitely, he's like, I control the collective wills of this entire planet. And you know that's actually uh, addressed in the hidden years. Uh, Reed Richards comes to the professor and he's like, "Hey, hey, you were playing around with the collective will of the planet. It's not cool. We got to go do something about this." And then they what go to space. What is this hidden years you speak of? <laughs> I don't know. Something that somebody made up. It's fan fiction. So stupid. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, um, I guess uh, Deken got word of this or something. Right, Deken does not like the fact that uh, Lelandra opposes his use of the weapon, so he sends her on, on, a, on a run, and she steals a scout bug ship, which is why she was always looking like a bug. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I guess their rapport was so huge, um, it was such a burst of power that bridged the awesome distance between them that it alert, alerted Deken's telepathic spies. Yeah. And they, they sense that my rapport with Xavier would draw me to Earth. Indeed, that it would allow me no other choice. And this is when Deken contacted Davin Shikari, the man we know as Eric the Red. Apparently he is an Earth agent, which uh, she says they've known of Earth for many years. And this Davin Shikari has been on Earth for many years. So how do they? How did they like not know about the whole Galactus thing in the last episode or two episodes ago? And they were like, "Oh, the Earth has conquered Galactus four times, man. We got to get out of here." Wasn't that was that Deken's ship or was that one of Deken's fighters? It was uh, one of the fighters. It was it was somebody I guess who trained with Lalandra. So I mean, it could have been like a guy that didn't really pay attention in space school. Didn't really read the briefings and such. And when they did their actual planetary reading and they found out that the records recorded that Galactus had been there, then he was like, oh, man, we got to go. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, maybe it's just not common knowledge. I don't know. Who knows? It's, we, should, we should note that Lalandra is the Grand Admiral of the Imperial Fleet well, until, she, she, until she was banned. Yeah, she was. Well, this is where we get um, some more uh, – basically, this, this issue here is brought to you by telling you why everything has been happening for the last six or seven issues. And uh, we find out that Shikari was the one who orchestrated Black Tom, the juggernaut, uh, Magneto, with the idea that they – one of those would be able to find and eliminate the X-Men. Which, you know, we knew all that already. Well, yeah. 
I guess my question is, if Eric the Red has this ability to control everybody's minds, like um, Havoc and Lorna Dane, why didn't he just do that with everybody else? So we get a weird, on, ominous uh, thing here. Shikari told me he learned of you from Lorna Dane Polaris, who he named, though he refused to say how he learned of her. So that's kind of mysterious. Do you think that that is just an oddly phrased term, or do you think that that is opening up a different storyline? I feel like it could be opening up a different storyline, but I don't feel like it does. Okay, I honestly... <laughs> Have no idea. And really, we don't even know what the deal is with Lorna Dane and Alex Summers at this point, do we? No, they they could be dead for all we know. I mean, we know that uh, Eric the Red kind of had them pretend to turn on him so that he could impress Fire Lord. But other than that, we don't really know what they're doing right now. Okay, well, anyways. Probably just hanging out. Moving on. Uh, and that's when Fire Lord came in and uh, kind of distracted everything, and Phoenix's powers sent them through the... It basically brought, brings you up to speed. And Cyclops could have literally been like, yeah, I know that part. We were just there. <laughs> like 15 minutes ago. At which point, Cyclops says, you know, I still don't know why this is happening. I mean, thanks for the backup, but I want to know what's going on. Did you not hear me? And she's like, oh... I forgot to mention, the whole reason this is happening is because the great McCann crystal, and then she points to a, the great McCann crystal thing, Yeah, is a gateway to the power my brother seeks, a gate that opens once every million years when those nine death stars enter a certain alignment. Oh, man, they have nine death stars? That's, that's wow, they're going to blow the crap out of Yevon. <laughs> Uh, it should also be noted that this issue takes place less than one day after their battle with Magneto. Right, yeah. So I did notice that. They've been very, very busy. And now that they're done talking, Gladiator's like, um, excuse me, uh, if, you, if you're done over there, we, we would like to continue this fight. And uh, that's when he comes up and confronts Lelandra, and Lelandra's like, open your eyes, Gladiator. Uh, for the glory of the Empire, we have to do something, or it's all over. Basically, she's trying to convince him that he wants to destroy the world or something. And uh, stop following him so blindly. Right. But he says, I do not care, Gladiator Snarls. Ours is not to question. Ours is to obey. Our Emperor has said that you and your companions must die. And meanwhile, that, that transitions our scene over to the rest of the X-Men, Colossus, Storm, and Banshee, who are like, for God's sakes, what is Cyclops doing up there? Having tea? We're dying! Uh, Banshee thinks to himself about how he'll never get a chance to tell Moira McTaggart how much I dot, dot, dot. How much I really hate her and her stupid-looking face. <laughs> How much I owe her thirty dollars. <laughs> uh, Wolverine pops up out of nowhere and says, "Man, old Fuzzface sure didn't want to part with his threads, but I guess I convinced him." So Wolverine stripped Fang naked <laughs> and took his clothes. Not only that, but there must have been, there must be like zippers in the back or something. <laughs> like, how did he get him out of those so cleanly? <laughs> I think this I, this just doesn't make any sense. Why did why does he? Why is he wearing Fang's costume? 
Mm, smelled good. That boat smelled good. You you want to know what I think? This is what I think. Uh, since it's historically been true that villains dress the good guys, a la Havoc and Polaris. I think that's it Angel. for now. Angel, right? I think that the idea here was that we were going to make Wolverine more feral and 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 fangy. And so I think that this was going to be an origin of his new costume. I uh, yeah, I I would I would agree with you there. This definitely feels like this is going to be Wolverine's new costume. So Anyhow, it's yeah. So he uh, he jumps in and attacks uh, two of the guys that were wearing yellow, including the the gay man that may have been in the Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel like this is Quasar. I think you might be right, actually. But it's not said in here. No. But I suppose it could also be Titan. He's... I don't know. I'm looking at a list of names of all the people that appear in this issue, most most of which are which are not named. He's a big dude who has, uh, like I said, a yellow tight uniform and like a universe making up his skin. It's black and white. looks like stars. That's what would make me guess that he is Quasar. Uh, I'm not really he sure. He look like any Quasar that I know. This guy looks too big to be Quasar, but, you know, that's never stopped anybody before. Yeah. Well, anyways, as uh, Wolverine is jumping towards them, uh, the woman there in the yellow costume is like, Fang, this is no time for your... Wait, you're not Fang. Don't worry, little Astra. I'll make sure those claws never come near you. And then Quasar or Titan punches Wolverine, and it's a, it's a nice cross. Man, he, he really knocks Wolverine out. Yes. Uh, he keeps punching him in the next panel. He punches him again. He just, yeah, he's railing on him. Uh, the fire guy, what was his name? Starbolt. Starbolt, he comes in, he shoots Colossus in the chest. Uh, he refers to one of these people as Tempest. I think it's this guy that kind of looks like Banshee, maybe, with a lightning bolt on his chest. I think his now, is this, is this the guy that becomes gigantic? Because he looks really big in this panel, but I'm not sure. If, maybe he's just standing on something. I think he's just drawn poorly. Maybe he's okay. big. I, I don't know. Um, He's not the big guy from the cover. No, okay. okay. All right. Well, anyways, uh, that's when Gladiator is holding back Lilandra and uh, Scuba Mask Man, who you'll remember from earlier in the issue, speaks with a weird balloon and says, Prepare to meet your gods, outworlder. Cyclops thinks to himself, Not if I can help it, pal. I've got a handle on things, I hope, now that I've heard Lilandra's story in detail for the past 20 minutes. <laughs> but... It isn't going to do us any good unless I can pull the X-Men together. And do it now. The team's getting pulverized. They need my zap. I mean, they need my zap. And that's when we learn that Scuba Mask Man has optic blasts just like Cyclops, and apparently they are equally powerful, and they both knock each other out. He was going to say help, says the caption. Yes. And that's when, I don't know, Gladiator's just getting ready to beat the crap out of Lilandra. And Lilandra's like, Gladiator, I seek to save the Empire! The kid will destroy it! How do you know? I don't. <laughs> I fear. 
From the little I know of the forerunners who created this force he seeks, and from the name they gave it, the end of all that is, you dummy! And that's when, from off-panel, we hear a shazak, and a man says, You're wasting your breath, princess. Gladiator won't believe you. Be thankful that others aren't so pig-headed. Who? And we turn around, and the panel says, Enter a legend. Boy, Chris Claremont was really like, This is the next thing right here. There's going to be a spinoff comic. It's going to be amazing. We get a a frogman, a bionic man, a pirate, and a skunk. (laughs) (laughs) And we find out that their names are Raza and... uh, Well, we already met Cha'ad and Corsair. Cha'ad? When did we meet Corsair? Uh, A couple issues ago. We did? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, there was like a little... uh, 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 prologue or postlogue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like two panels with Chaad and and Corsair and the little thing on Chaad's shoulder. And uh, as when little Ender says, Shara and K- three, the Star Jammers. Who's Shara and, and Kithri? Star Jammers. Star Jammers. They're jamming the stars. Oh, stop jamming me. <laughs> Who is Shara and Kit 3? Kit 3. They're, they're, the, uh, they're the band that plays the hit single, The Star Jammers. <laughs> I see. Um, I love Shara and Kiathri. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> oh, well, anyways, uh, Corsair is like, uh, the stakes are higher than personal vengeance. These are Imperial Guards, enough for everybody, because I think Raza is like, all right, leader, who would cheat Raza of his blood right? I guess this is like he just wants to fight. Yeah, he just wants to fight, and and Cha'ad said, someone started the fight without us, dudes. And the skunk girl, she she knows who Lilandra is. She says, fine cover, Featherhead. Star jammers are on your side, true, but you are still impy royalty, whatever that is. None of Imperial. us would. So that's like star jammer slang, right? You impy scum. <laughs> yeah. None of us would weep if a blaster beam cut you in two. And that's when I realized that her head dress that we thought was weird and pointy, and we didn't know what to do with her hair. It's it's all feathers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, yes, we'll learn more about why that is later. Be gentle, be gentle, Head Zipper. As you said, Pet Lilandra is on our side. Not your pet, Corsair. And name not Hep Zipper. Remember that? I can't pronounce your name, my love. Remember that? Banshee doesn't know what's going on. What but the hell? tells him. You are being rescued. Everybody speaks English. By the by, my name is Chad. My companions are the Star Jammers. We are heroes. Colossus, I think you just glossed over that too fast, and I just want to back up one second. Colossus says, Banshee, the monster speaks English. And well, then, Klaus is a bit slow, and he has not realized that everybody <laughs> speaks English so far. Right. 
But that's when Chad, who actually kind of looks like a battle toad in this picture, says, okay. uh, doesn't everybody? So apparently English is definitely the universal language of the universe. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, Chad's just hurling people around. Colossus is now punching people. Oh, the tides are turning. Where the Imperial Guard were once winning, now the X-Men and the Star Jammers are kicking butt and taking names. And, uh, yeah, they're they're all knocked down for the count. Uh, I don't know that we ever find out the big guy's name that has, like, the question mark symbol on his chest. Maybe he's Titan. Eh, could be. Wolverine is up on some leaf or something, and he, uh, not bad, folks. I've seen some heavy stomping in my time, but this takes the cake. Hey, one eye. We got what we came for, right? That princess chick. How about we head on home when we get the chance and get a few brews? <laughs> Futzer. Nice idea, Wolverine, but it isn't that easy. I assume that was Phoenix who says that, anyways. I think so. Yeah. Well, she's got like a big bold. I mean, why does she have a big bold line around her word balloon? I don't. That's, that's Chad's thing. Don't actually have... Yeah, you're right. That is a chod word balloon. Weird. And why does this one woman look like she's sunbathing? <laughs> it's laying on the ground with the blue cape? Yeah, well, it looks like a blanket because... Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's clearly an unconscious woman, like, with a cape, but it looks like someone who's sunbathing on a blanket. Could you all keep it down? I'm trying to get some rays here. And... Uh... Banshee talks about how he's getting old and fights used to be more fun, but now he's old. Well, they're in space. How much more fun could a space battle be? <laughs> Nightcrawler says your pet, Chad, is, it is very neat. I know you're not so bad yourself, human. And mm -hmm. the, the little thing makes a funny sound, I guess. Raza's all like, cease thy pleasantries, Lamux. This battle is far from over. That was just uh, one salvo. There's going to be more to come. So Corsair says, Ravis is right, I'm afraid. And as I suspect, we're all here for the same reason. To stop the Emperor, we'd best get down to business. Fine, says Cyclops and Corsair. Thank you. Uh, Marvel Girl, or uh, Phoenix, realizes that he's got American slang and accents coming, I guess, very American accents Corsair has. And so she says, I better do a fast mind scan just to make sure we're in for no surprises. And, and that's when she has a bit of a brain fart. She says, no, it can't be. But, okay. Scott, no. It is Him. I think you have a lettering issue because mine says, no, it can't be, but, oh, Scott, no, it is him. Well, okay, <laughs> but still, I, I, could, I could see that okay as an, as an H, but still, the punctuation is weird. Scott, no, there should be like a comma there, although I guess there aren't commas in it comics. It could be, and we kind of talked about that in one of the letters column. They said... Uh, they didn't do too much in the way of commas because as they printed them, they would generally lose the commas. Right. And there's definitely, there's a mark there that may have been a comma, but it's kind of faded. It is him. <laughs> him. Him who? 
Well, we're not going to find out this issue. To the crowd beneath him, do your worst, fools. It will make no difference. And that's when Hepzibah says, my people are feline to kin, and cats eat birds. Meaning that the Shi'ar are bird people. Oh, but we don't actually know that they are Shi'ar at this point, do we? I mean, we've, we know this, but I don't think the comic book has introduced them as Shi'ar. Yeah, I'm just making it easy to describe them. Oh, okay. But we can call them bird people from now on instead of Shi'ar. Well, I think it... Yeah, sure. We'll call them bird people. Well, anyways, uh, he he says that the stars are lined up. It's too late. Uh, absolute power will be his. And as if on cue, blinding blue-white light spears out of the evening sky, pouring into the McCrane crystal like some gigantic waterfall of energy. And it blows up, and all existence goes... Blink. And that's the end of the everything. So Marvel that, Universe is over. That's, that's it. It was fun doing this uh, podcast for a while, but uh, I guess it's over. Yeah, Why that, did we choose X-Men? I don't know. We should have cho- chose a longer-running series. <laughs> hey, Adam, let's go back into the annals of time and do Aquaman. Okay. <laughs> Every story involving Aquaman from the very beginning. Uh, DeKen also mentions that they are an avian race, so they are a bird race. Oh, it's okay. official. And, uh, well, actually, the Marvel Universe is literally gone for an instant, and then it comes Mm -hmm. back, and that's when aboard the Star Corps, Peter Corbo, who, after he said, yeah, yeah, my space station was hijacked by terrorists, apparently the government's like, oh, that sucks. Why don't you go back up on your Star Corps? When was the last time we saw Peter Corbo? Uh, Issue 101, I believe. So we never we never saw him after that. So the 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 thing where he was in a boat with Professor Xavier was before that. Okay. Oh, that yeah, was way before was. that. Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety seven or eight or something like that. Well, he's talking to Doctor Reed Richards on the phone or the Vizzy phone, and he says it hit us too, Doctor Richards. A total disruption of our physical reality. For a fraction of a second, we cease to exist. I know the effect was felt on Earth, but what could have caused it, man? And things in the background going, ugh. I have no idea, says Peter Corbo, though we've some possibilities. But I can tell you what will happen if the cosmic blinks keep up or get worse. The fabric of time and space will tear itself apart. The universe, as we know it, will make us some cupcakes. Or, no, he says, we'll die. Yeah, and I got to be honest, that's not how any of them talked because these last three panels paint all of these people who look insane. Like, look at Peter oh. Corbo. He's all sweaty. One of his eyes is bigger than the other eye. Reed so Richards. like, I have no idea, though we've some possibilities. No, it's just really hot in there. <laughs> look at Reed Richards, who's on Earth. I know the effect was felt <laughs> on Earth, but what could have caused it, man? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> They're all wide-eyed and crazy looking. Well, anyways, uh, the next issue will be called, and now, Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. There's no letters pages in this issue because there were enough pages for for action-packed craziness. I thought you were going to... You were going to... Oh, oh, right, right. And so uh, that takes us to the uh, end of this issue. And, and Adam, I've been waiting this entire episode to find out how it is that we know that this issue was published in July. 
Well, we got a letter from Joe Darowski on the Facebook, as I mentioned, uh, and he says, in your most recent episode, you were questioning when comic books were actually published in relation to the date on the cover. The cover date is actually the date retailers were supposed to remove the comics from their newsstand spinner racks shelves. So in this case, it would be in October of 1977. They would receive the comics a few months in advance and put them up for sale. And when the cover date came around, they would return unsold copies for a ref- uh, refund. Interesting. The standard difference uh, has varied over the years, though. It's usually been between two and four months. Comics used to be on the shelves for like four months. Although I guess nowadays they still are. If you go in a comic shop, they usually have back issues for quite a bit. Now they can't return them. No, no. Actually, the comic book shop that's in my neighborhood, I, I think I could probably go in right now and buy almost the entire run of all new X-Men. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're, like- they're just all there, yeah. There is a website called Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which has a feature called the Virtual Newsstand. With this, you can search a comic book title, and it will tell you both the publication date and the date it originally went on sale. And that is how I found out that this issue was originally went on sale July 21st, I believe I said. So we've actually been lying to our listeners this entire podcast about the release dates of these issues. Totally. I'm sorry, listener. Well, but thank you, Joe. That's, yeah. that, that was very insightful, and uh, and and I never knew that, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I always knew that they were sort of off, but I never knew why or yeah. what the deal was. And it always seemed like they got further off in summer. But again, I think I mentioned that it, maybe that was because of the bi-monthly titles that they would do. Like it'd be so it, middle of June and there'd be an issue out there that says October. And you're like, what the hell? Are they that far ahead of themselves? It's, it's cool. They they stuck to this tradition even when they stopped telling people that they could sell their comic backs, sell, sell their comics back. Hmm. They don't still do this, do they? Um, I can't. I, no. I mean, I, I think they, they still date comics, don't they? Well, they, I think oh, – I have no idea actually. Like on the cover of the comic – well, I could speculate or I could literally walk 10 feet and, and pull up a comic book. I'm looking at the cover of all new X-Men number 12, and it does not have a uh, date on it. What issue are you looking at? Number 12. But they're, actually, let's go into the publication information. I have Uncanny X-Men number 544 in front of me. There's no date on the cover, and inside it says December 2011. Okay, so they they do still date them then, but we have no idea what those dates mean. Yeah, well, this was as of two years ago. I don't I don't know. I don't know that I have a comic book that was published in the. Well, no, I have all new X Men number one somewhere. Because that's going to be worth a lot of money one of these days. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> you could sell it on eBay now for. A dollar. A dollar fifty. <laughs> okay, well, do we have any other letters that we need to deal with here? We do. We got quite a few letters on the Happy Go Lucky Facebook. Uh, we got one from David Steele, and he says, well, first of all, he says, P.S. I'm going to read the P.S. first. Peter Watson's wedding was a blast. So oh, cool. Nice. He uh, he hopes that we're going to do Iron Fist issue fifteen, and uh, 
And he was also wondering if we'd be covering issues 62 through 64 of the Defenders, seeing as how Havoc and Polaris and Blob feature. Huh. And the Angels on one of the cover. And he's happy that we're doing the Champions. And uh, he's been listening to the older cod- podcast, and he loves the coverage of the Wilderness Years, as we he, he has called the years between oh. X-Men 64 and 94, whatever they 66 and 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wilderness Years. I like that. That's good. That's a good term. So uh, yeah, we don't we don't know whether we're going to do this stuff. I think we're going to do the Iron Fist issue because um, I, I believe I have a copy of it somewhere around here. But uh, I don't I don't know about the other ones. But I yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely look into it, and if it fits into our uh, time scheme, we'll try to do everything. I mean, yeah. at some point we're going to lose track. Well, it's going to be too hard to I, figure all this stuff out. But. I think yeah, I mean, I think the champions thing would be interesting, uh, uh, especially if it has uh, Havoc and Lorna Dane in there. Just, the just, defenders, yeah, or the defenders rather, just because they uh, are kind of X Men members at this point, and maybe this, yeah, I I would at least like to take a look at those, and and if it's not worth doing an entire episode over, we'll just mention the the events that happen in there. But I mean, if there's some like things that happen, like maybe there's a description as to how they become not in the control of Eric the Red, then yeah, we would totally do that. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely check it out and and. Uh... So you can get a hold of it, and if uh, if it if it makes sense to do it, we'll we'll try to fit it in. All right. And we got another letter from John W. who says he loves our podcast, and he gave us an iTunes review, which I I guess we'll read later. And um, he also lets us know that he has a podcast of his own that he just started uh, that deals with comic books it's called the arc reactions podcast that he hosts with his pal dylan okay and the first episode is uh about avengers versus x-men the entire the entire series yeah you can't do that in an entire episode unless that episode's like five hours long I I believe it's uh, five hours and ten minutes long. No, I, I I don't know. Actually, I can summarize Avengers versus X Men like this: way too much content. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's the twelve issues, and and then there's uh, the surrounding other crap. Yeah, there's twelve issues of. Was there even twelve issues? I thought it was just six. It was thirteen, really. If okay. You count issue zero. So there was 13 issues of it, but then there was like literally 107 surrounding issues. And I, by golly, read them all. You're insane. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then you you can't do that because then you're like, why is Wolverine in every one of these issues? Like he was in the North Pole and now he's in Manhattan and he just got thrown off a plane by the captain. None of this makes any sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I guess I guess the the moral of these latest arcs is to read the main arc story and then just choose one title to follow. <laughs> Don't read them all. Well, you know, I guess if you're already collecting something, just keep collecting that. But otherwise, I wouldn't delve into anything else unless you really want to. I think there was like some that were like continued in, you know, this other title because I mean, obviously they do a lot of those arcs to try to you know, spread the love to all their titles and stuff. Yeah, definitely check out their podcast, folks. Anyways, what else do we got? Uh, we, and finally, we got a letter from Joshua. We got two letters from Joshua White, who says he would really like to see a first-class movie based on the Mutant Massacre. 
and that he noticed that Wolverine is always being talked down from killing somebody. Yeah, you know, I I did read the email about a first class mutant massacre, and I don't think it would work. And and I don't mean to put that uh, to put him down, but there's you get invested in all these characters. Like, I mean, we're we're in the spoiler section, right? And so the mutant massacre uh, uh, centers around the Morlocks, who we've met. 30 issues prior, I, th- I think we've met them 30 issues prior. They've developed characters. They started off as bad guys, and then they kind of became sort of good guys and, and whatever. And then we kill them, which is like, oh, my God, this is like a real thing that happened. But I don't think in a movie you have enough time to get invested in characters to then introduce the marauders and have them kill them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They would have already had to have introduced them in, in a previous movie, so they were, were already kind of used to them. Yeah, actually, it would be kind of cool if, like, well, I mean, the the movie that they're doing now is is a really cool idea, and I hope it really works out. But if they weren't going to do this, they could have done maybe a Morlock story in which uh, we do get emotionally involved in them, and you know, maybe the plot surrounds saving the Morlocks from somebody, and then they'll the, never do the Morlocks. I, though, I know the they Morlocks won't. are not pretty. I know, but hear me out. Like, and then in the third, so we get emotionally involved with them. They're the, they're the entire focus of the second movie. And then in the third movie, we open up with the Marauders killing them all. And then, then you're like, ooh, these Marauders are so evil and bad. Ooh, I hope the X-Men get them. But that, that'll never happen, partially because of what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. To have a whole movie around a bunch of ugly people, it's just unlikely these days. Especially like a, it's it's got a. The problem with these superhero movies is they have to appeal to a mass audience. Right. But whatever. That's a whole. That's a topic for a whole. Actually, other you know, podcast. You know what they should do, or what somebody should do. Well, I don't know if Disney would do this because oh. Disney is the one that owns Marvel. But DC's done a lot of cool things with like. Uh, um, like Batman uh, Year One, if you watch that animated series, that was really good. And then what? Mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. The that was that was Alan Moore, right? No, that was Frank Miller. The Dark Knight Returns was, where he's mm-hmm. old. Yeah, it was Frank Miller. Okay, well, I don't really know my Batman very well, but I watched those two animated features, and man, they were really good. And they they were straight continuity. There's as far as I'm under to understand, there was not any uh, changing to meet appeal or anything like that. They were just like basically animated transcriptions from the page. I can't stand Peter Weller as Batman. Okay, fine. His voice was pretty bad, but still, I thought I, like visually just... they were amazing. Peter Weller was great one way back in is, is that his name Peter Weller? Peter anyway, Weller. He was great back when he was RoboCop and he was like the guy from the Naked Lunch. Which I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh but since then he's just like old guy and and he's not he's become a terrible actor. He was He was pretty bad in that Star Trek movie that just came out. Oh, don't, I haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil it for me. Was that a spoiler? I don't know. RoboCop Peter? is in Star Trek. I had no idea. Oh, I guess I spoiled it for you. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. He was he was very Edit that out. Maybe you won't hear it. <laughs> he was very flat and uh some people were like that was amazing. That's exactly how Batman should be. And then there's others that are like no, he just sounded like Peter Weller just talking his way through a paycheck. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. But uh Peter Weller aside, I thought like the whole thing was Really. So that's what they should do. That's what Disney should do is do some straight-to-DVD retellings of 
Fall of the Mutants, Mutant Massacre, uh, whatever else. Phoenix Saga. Agreed. That would be pretty cool. But they probably won't because then there'd be violence and stuff. We are up to 39 reviews on the iTunes, and we have a uh, a brand new five-star review, as we mentioned, from Arc Reactions Podcast. It's uh, It says, great podcast. I've been listening to this podcast for about 10 episodes so far. I thoroughly enjoy the voices and the commentary on the comics. Keep up the great work, and I will keep listening. Oh, man. Thank you, Arc Reactions. Is it is it legal for one podcast to comment on another podcast's content? Apparently, it's legal. Wow, because <laughs> they didn't get banned from my. T- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what uh, are we? Is that it? Yeah, that, that's all the listener feedback we got uh, this this week. Amazing. Thank you, everybody. Uh, And now, of course, since we're at that 39th piece of feedback, Adam will not rest. He will literally not sleep or eat until we get that 40th piece of feedback. And then everybody just has to stop at 40, right? Right, because if you go over to 41, I'll be like, we got to get to 45 now. Well, but you know what? I mean, why would you stop at 40? Because then you're like, you're only 10 away from 50, and 50 is half of 100. We need 1,000. It's it's on. (laughs) Let's get this. Let's make this happen. 1,000 uh, 1, pieces of feedback. Uh, so tell yeah. your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your dog. Yeah, make accounts. If your dog can use iTunes. Make accounts for your children and your children's friend and pets. But uh, if you want to join in the fun, visit us at www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast or follow us uh, at our Twitter feed, which is at Danger Room Go. Or you may email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com and you can visit our webpage where we post all of the episodes and the panels that we like to poke some fun at sometimes, which is www.xmenpodcast.com. Uh, and you could uh, you could leave us that darn voicemail that nobody wants to leave us. I spent a lot of time setting up that account, by golly, and it's 501-GET-X-MEN. Golly gee. Yes. So with all of that out of the way, let's get to the real meat and potatoes of this episode, what you've all been clamoring to listen to, that which is classic X-Men number 14, which this particular one says it's from October, but now I'm questioning that. It probably came out in July. (laughs) Yeah, and and I'm not even going to look it up. So anyways, uh, number 14, retailed for a dollar. Kind of a crappy Art Adams cover. I like the execution, or, or I like I like the the positioning of all the characters. I like the fact that they're surrounding the X Men. It's 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 a neat concept. So yeah, the X Men are in color in the middle of a group of aliens who are kind of in a brownish, dark brown shadows, kind of encroaching upon the X Men. But no, it's it's not terrific cover by art adams unfortunately and then the interior piece of artwork is uh gladiator and it too is also not very good it's very gladiator as superman well gladiator essentially is superman yeah but i never realized it until just now oh okay i mean when i was first collecting comic books way back in 86 87 uh, I don't know how the subject came up, but I was like, who's this gladiator guy and what's his powers? And a friend of mine was just like, think Superman. And I was like, oh, okay. So he, he can fly and he's strong. He's like, yep, that's him. That's gladiator. 
Okay. And, I mean, look at him. He's got a yellow belt, red tights, blue tights. I mean... Superman doesn't have red tights. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> doesn't he? I don't even Not know. Not anymore. I haven't seen the new Superman movie. I'm told it's okay. The new 52 Superman doesn't have red tights either, though. Really? I have... It's, I... it's been almost two years now. Where have you been, Jeremy? Not paying attention to the new 52. I'm... You haven't been too paying attention to Superman's tights, that's for sure. <laughs> Is Superman black too? Superman, I think there is a black Superman, but he's like from another alternate universe. Or oh, something. okay. He's from Bizarro Land. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So helping us out uh, on the pencils here for our filler stuff is Chuck Patton. Good old Chuck Patton. And uh, apparently Dan Green inked that work as well. And yeah. Uh, John, well, why not? Sure. He is like, he's the master. And John, it doesn't help in this issue. Uh, John Bolton does our backup story. So let's just get right into it. All right. Uh, pages two and three. And um, boy, uh, basically it's, it's, I guess this it, it seems to be like the trend of, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to go through the team and have them all think thoughts. This panel is totally unnecessary. These, it's it's a two-page spread, kind of, with uh, little headshots of all of the X-Men thinking and a couple of recaps from the last issue. But the recaps are totally unnecessary because we didn't have the issue uh, 105 or 106 thing. We didn't have a filler issue in between Classic X-Men. Literally, the last issue of Classic X-Men was right where we left off, where Misty and the Professor were sending the X-Men through the Stargate. So... This is not necessary. Not only that, it completely takes away from the surprise of the two-page spread. Yeah. The thing that I don't like about it is that Banshee says, my only regret is not telling Moira McTaggart how much she's come to mean to me, which he then thinks later on several pages later. Uh, It just, I don't like it because when we first opened up the book before, we saw that nice uh, opening spread that we talked about that should have been the cover, which is still here. And they're all looking at something. And then we have the flashback, which breaks up the momentum, I think. And then after the momentum, that's when we get into the the original two-page spread. And the other thing is, uh, other than Fire Lord, I don't know that we've seen the Phoenix Bird. And here we're led to believe that, I don't know, the Phoenix Bird is transporting them? Yeah, it's dumb. It's really bad. Just bad. And I'm not even, I don't even care about any of this dialogue. There's a lot of word balloons on here too. So that's our first uh, little 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 addition, and then we go back into the normal comic book. All the way up to page 15, where we get uh, it again. I feel I feel the same as as you just felt. Oh yeah. For this page, because this kind of uh, destroys the surprise of the Star Jammers. Uh, full page spread where they just show up and they're like and the legend begins or whatever right 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 we see the star trammers for a full page they're like talking to each other there we get some like early character development on the star jammers that really doesn't enhance anything it it's more of like corsair being like uh we gotta go rescue them and save little andra 
are you who's with me and then they go through it's very cliche everyone's like well wherever you go i go you know my answer somebody has to keep you out of trouble my friend it's, it's, you it's, have my axe <laughs> yes exactly uh, i'll fight for you so will i so will i so they're all on their way and he kind of already knows this <laughs> yeah and so, right, and then we go right back into the comic book, and then two or three pages later, uh, the Star Jammer's kind of surprising uh, uh, entrance is completely ruined because we know that they're coming. And this actually, uh, to me, reminds me of the Star Wars Special Edition in which uh, Han Solo meets up with Jabba the Hutt, and we see a little bit of the Millennium Falcon, and, and we see Chewbacca, I think, as well. And then later on, then we see the whole reveal of the Millennium Falcon. And in the original, you're like, oh, my God, look, there's the spaceship. But in this, you're like, oh, I already kind of saw bits and pieces of this. Oh, now I get to see the rest of it. You know, just it just takes away from that whole entrance. That's true. I never thought of that that way. The the thing about that Jabba the Hutt scene that always irked me was that it, it was supposed to be the original scene. And then they changed it instead to the Greedo scene. So when they added it back, they logically should have got rid of the Greedo scene because dialogue-wise, they're like exactly the same. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That always irritated me. Well, and that's pretty much the same as what's happening here is we get a lot of repetitive dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. Nightcrawler says, eat your heart out, George Lucas. And uh, I, I, yeah, that, that is, that's kind of ironic considering. Yeah, he says that somewhere in here. Also, this is a real Chris Claremont pulled a George Lucas before George Lucas. Really, it it totally is. I mean, I, George Lucas clearly wasn't reading classic X Men. Otherwise, he'd have been like, "Eh, it's not a good idea." Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't you think we George should go back in time and send George Lucas copies of classic X Men? Don't do this. He'd read and be like, "Well, this is really bad. I shouldn't do this with my movies." Don't you think George Lucas would have made as much money if he would have just gone through and, and maybe recolored and uh, like spruced up the sound effects and just not touched all that special edition crap? I do think George Lucas has a turkey neck. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at the turkey neck comment and move on to the backup story, which is called What Stuff Our Dreams Are Made Of. What Stuff Our Dreams Are Made Of. Yeah. This story oh, is confusing. What stuff are are made of dreams? <laughs> what? That's how I read it. What stuff our are made of dreams? Whatever. This is a dumb title. And honestly, and I already did this story uh, way back after we did the Xenox issue of issue sixty-five. I did a really brief recap of it. Yeah, and you know what? I'll just do it as as brief as that. Like. There were two panels in this comic book where uh, Lalandra says, we felt the Xenox power and I was escaping from Deken, my brother, because he thought I was a traitor. That, that was two panels. And instead of just leaving at those two panels, they give us like eight pages of all of this thinking and... Ugh. Ugh. Well, it's typical Chris Claremont. You know, it's like, I'm going to tell a story through all of this action that's happening and... It's just not very interesting. Um, I guess unless you're really into the backstory of Lalandra and Deken. It doesn't 
doesn't add anything though. Like we know all of this stuff from what we've just read. Yeah. The only thing really we doesn't. the only thing that we didn't know that we get here is that Lilandra was kind of having like a schizophrenic moment as she was forming her rapport with the professor where right where she thought she was him for a while that was kind of neat so she's going back and forth being like my legs what's wrong with my legs i can't move them of course i can't move them they were crushed by lucifer who's lucifer who am i so there's some of that back and forth which is kind of interesting dialogue play but yeah, realistically it's just really long and boring and not only is it long and boring but uh, if you notice, uh, they had to use the back page of the comic book as well. So they, he actually needed an additional page to finish up this whole story. Really? Yeah. You see how the last page is colored funny? That's because it's on magazine print. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what's the back cover then? Because there's like a back cover. Oh, I see. It's the inside back cover. Yeah, and this is the back cover. Back back cover. How weird. So like... Claire, Did not realize he's that. like, I need so much space that I'm going to use the back cover of the comic book. Hmm. So, and anyways, they, you know, he goes. She goes back and forth. Eventually, she takes a sexy shower, and then she puts on her bug costume and she flies to Earth. Uh, and she throws feathers on her arms, and she talks about how that's a Shi'ar thing. Didn't she start off with the feathers? I guess not. My forearms, feathers. No, but that's the this... that's the professor side of her. Because if oh, you yeah if you look okay. if you look back, on yeah you're right. Page three, she got feathers. Yeah, so that's just her being confused. Uh, but that was just me being confused. It does tie in, like you mentioned back in issue sixty-five, uh, to the whole Xenox thing, and that's how their rapport and their connection was made, and so that's kind of neat. But again, they tie all of that together in the 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 proper or the comic book proper. So there's there's just no need for this story whatsoever. True. Uh, they should have put a Star Dram Jammer story here. They should have put, you know, uh, it's too late now, right? Because this was all done in 1987. But they literally just should have put, like, what were the Star Jammers doing before they got wind of this whole thing? And maybe it was some other swashbuckling adventure that had nothing to do with Shi'ar, nothing to do with the X-Men, and just showed, like, what these Star Jammers are all about. Next issue on Danger Room. <laughs> Well, actually, the next issue is called Star Jammers Aloft, so maybe I know. maybe that's what it'll be. Honestly, I did not look forward or look ahead. That's so. my guess. Anyhow, what's going on in the uh, elsewhere in the Marvel Universe? I did. Uh, I read some Avengers issues, which ended up not being of consequence, and then I read some Champions issues, number four and number five. Uh, number four was not terribly interesting. Um, some crazy scientist decides to take over some patients and turn them into mutates. And that's when Angel decides, well, we should really form a team to take on stuff like this. And then issue five is the one where uh, they actually do form a team of sorts. And we get an interesting page where Warren is talking to his lawyer, who is the friend of his parents, and uh, who, who, as we know, are both dead now. And he uh, looks over his inheritance and he doesn't think much of it because he doesn't he doesn't know how much money his parents were worth. And then he realizes, wow, I'm rich. I'm rich. And Iceman's all happy for him and they're excited. And, is the and then they form a team. And Oh, and then so is uh, Angel Bank rolling the uh, the champions? Exactly. Aha. Uh-huh. 
And that's where we get bankrolling rich Warren Worthington, born in Champions Issue 5. And here they fight in a, a, a villain called Rampage, who is, he's essentially a Tony Stark villain, or, or not a, he, he is a Tony Stark-like uh, scientist who has his own company, but his company is hitting hard times. And so he takes his version of the Iron Man armor and becomes a supervillain in order to fund himself because he uh, believes that his uh, his technologies will eventually uh, earn money for him, but he just needs to he needs to bankroll at first. He just needs so some he time. A villain. Sure. And they name him Rampage, and he goes and robs a bank, and Iceman tries to stop him. And then the champions show up, and um, the this issue ends with Rampage holding Angel by the hair and saying, if you come one step closer, I'll smash this fist right through Angel's skull. Oh, man. First she is. <laughs> is that it? That's all that's going on? Yeah. Wow. So tune in next week for, I don't know how this is going to end up. It's crazy. I'm excited. I can't wait to see if Angel lives or dies. <laughs> I, I, he's a goner I, I have a feeling <laughs> the last issue of angel they took his money and the yeah the champions were just using him for his money the first page is going to be like a, a close-up of his head with a fist getting smashed through it <laughs> invincible style yeah and then we'll find out it's a clone from another dimension and then we'll be like oh man what a letdown it's an LMD. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got to imagine that like investing in a superhero time is probably not an economically sound idea. Like, how do you make that investment pay off for you? Just because you're rich doesn't mean you're always rich if you're always writing checks for floating cars and mansions and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And probably paying for a lot of destruction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they're forming into a team, that means that they probably have an, a you know bank account and some insurance. And every time they go fighting in Manhattan and blow up a building, the city's like, "Okay, champions." Who's gonna? You know. Iceman even talks in this issue about how he hopes that uh, Angel will be able to fund his constantly uh, ice, iced up wardrobe. Yeah, 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 and and an iced up uh, Manhattan too, no, no doubt. Yeah. Or are they not well, in? Well, that just melts. <laughs> Are they in Manhattan or are they... No, they're in California. California, now. okay. All right. All right, then. Well, if uh, you got anything else to add there, Adam? No, no, I don't. Until next week, the Danger Room is closed. did miss one thing oh man can i go back yes it's in the backup story on page two i am emperor it is my right to destroy all shiar if you so wish and my destiny to rule the power you discovered in this ancient world will enable me to fulfill that lifelong dream to become master of the universe <laughs> fabulous magical powers were revealed to me the day i held aloft my magic sword and said by the power of gray skull 
I have the power. <laughs>